the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the show. You can uh, knock Mitt Romney down, apparently, but uh, he keeps getting back up as long as there's money to spend. Other people's, that is. Romney sporting a shiner yesterday in D.C. Thank goodness he had that life alert uh, so that he could get help when he falls. Romney has been one of the um, lead compromisers to the $1.9 trillion in funny money spending proposed and now making its way through Congress by the Biden administration. And uh, as we've talked about on this show before, perhaps uh, as he described himself representing a tiny wing of the Republican Party, perhaps that wing is so tiny because he takes the premise of the left when it comes to policy and just says, let's only do 50 percent of what you want to do or 25 percent of what you want to do, rather than trying to advance any percent of something that conservatives should be desirous of doing. And it uh, also speaks to the compromise proposals, not just including Romney, but including Tom Cotton on the minimum wage, for example. It speaks to a topic that's covered by our next guest in a recent piece of National Review, the conservative fight over the size of government, and the size of government clearly implicates spending, government spending, state spending, your tax dollars at work or not. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Sam Gregg, who's the research director for the Acton Institute. Sam, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's good to be with you. Uh, In addition to uh, some plaudits Romney uh, and other Republican senators are getting for being willing to deal on another COVID-19 round of relief spending, where some conservatives think the number should be zero. Uh, he's getting high marks for, in places like The New Yorker for his proposal on child care benefits for families, taxpayer finance, t- child care benefits for families. And um, you wrote about that, use that as the example to sort of distill this debate going on within conservative and Republican ranks over spending. Yes, I mean, it's very clear the Romney proposal underscores that there's a growing division about the role of government in not just the economy, but society more generally, between, on the one hand, social conservatives and those who consider themselves fiscal conservatives. So, for example, many social conservatives praise the Romney initiative. They said, at last, finally, someone is taking our concerns about what's happening to the family seriously, and this is someone who's proposing direct support to families. Many fiscal conservatives reacted, however, by saying, no, we are in a process of growing the federal budget even more. Conservatives should not be in the business of increasing public spending at a time when we're heavily in debt and we're relying upon debt to get us through. So that, that, and of course, people who are both social and fiscal conservatives found themselves in a position where they're being asked to choose, right? They're being asked to choose, do you support the family or not? Or do you support the market economy? So the Romney proposal, even though it amounted to effectively $66 billion in extra spending, which lamentably is small change by federal government spending standards, even though the amount of money involved was relatively small, what it did do was highlight this growing fracture among conservatives 
which is reflected in the Republican Party, about these types of issues. What is the role of government in society and in the economy? And uh, I don't see this issue being resolved anytime soon, frankly, because I think that people are starting to dig themselves into positions about these issues, but also because there is a genuine crisis confronting the family in America, but there's also a genuine economic and fiscal crisis confronting America. And when people are faced with crises, they often ask us to make choices about what we think is really important. So these divisions, I'm afraid, are going to exist in the conservative movement for a while. It's not quite clear to me yet how these things are resolved. Well, the, the problem, even if you take the position of, say, a Lyman Stone at the American Enterprise Institute, that uh, the Romney proposal has some some solid features in the, in the sense that it is even-handed. It's not sort of picking winners and losers when it comes to family support. It's uniform in that way. So if you want to do a child care tax credit, then that, you know, this is the way to do it. The problem, even with that position, though, is... It puts you in a bit of a trick bag. So, for example, um, this is something else from the $1.9 trillion the Biden administration has proposed that hasn't got talked about by many Republicans, unfortunately. But there's a new $120 billion welfare program in the bill. I mean, SNAP and food stamps is about a $65 billion program. This doubles it just about. And we're not talking about that. But if you start to say, well, you want to do tax credit for stable families for their child care, but you don't want to spend to provide food and other benefits to families that are struggling, single moms and so on and so forth. And then you get right. into this tit for tat where if you want to spend right. your $65 billion, then you got to spend at least my $65 billion over here. Exactly. I mean, these are some of the problems when you start to examine the Romney proposal. So, for example, you pointed out they're basically saying, well, we're going to be giving money across the board to families full stop, you know, quote unquote, picking winners or losers. Well, we have no guarantee about how people will spend that money. There's no way of knowing that people will use this money to do what it's designed to do, which is support children. So that's one thing. The second problem, which is a variation on something you mentioned, the, the amounts being proposed are, I think, 350 for children below the age of five and 250 between the ages of six and, I think, 18. Okay, fine. Why not 1,000? And in other words, where's the limit? Thirdly, the other thing I think that's worth considering, which social conservatives should be just as concerned about as fiscal conservatives, is do we really want the federal government to be providing people with direct income? Do we really want that to be part of how people start to think about the way they think about how they earn income and how they spend money? The fact that the federal government is actually putting money directly into your account for these sorts of things, I think, should concern social and fiscal conservatives, both for reasons of fiscal prudence, but also the idea that this reflects this sort of ongoing temptation to look to the federal government to fix our problem. And some of the problems that many families are struggling with, some of them are economic, but many of them are social and cultural and cannot be fixed simply by spending money. Well, right. And you're right to ask the, the sort of the, the question of principle first, is this an area for the federal government? And then to the extent that there's agreement that it is, and I'm not saying there is, but to the extent there's agreement that it is, then how do these, this, the, these numbers that you come up with, where is the evidentiary backup that this makes a material right. difference in the outcome for the children or the families right. rather right. than no, just being arbitrary? No, ex exactly. That's another point, because there's actually evidence, both empirical evidence but historical evidence, to suggest that these programs have, at best, a mixed 
record of success. And remember, we've tried some of these things before. We tried this in the New Deal. We tried this in the Great Society. And guess what? Some of those programs are still around. There's no particular evidence that they've made substantive changes to the communities they were designed to help. In fact, there's evidence that they have significantly contributed to damagings. The other thing we know is that these types of allowances, they haven't shifted the needle when it comes to things like increasing the birth rate or helping people to deal with some of the financial and social challenges that they face on a daily basis. On an evidentiary basis, there are questions that not just fiscal conservatives, but social conservatives should be asking about these sorts of things, but which they're presently not. Uh, I I, want to uh, pick up this conversation on the other side of the break on this topic that has been written about a lot recently. I mentioned Lyman Stone at the American Enterprise Institute, also Ross Duthat at the New York Times, the problem of Americans not having as many kids as the government says they need to have, so we have replacement rate, but not having as many kids as they actually want according to survey research and if that's really a public policy problem or a personal problem as it were more with sam Gregg, research director at the acton institute right after this Exposing political fakers, fixers, and takers. He's Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show. We're back with Sam Gregg. He's the research director of the Acton Institute, and we're talking about his piece, The Conservative Fight Over the Size of Government, in particular with respect to the $1.9 trillion in COVID relief spend that has been proposed in combination with some of the compromises advanced by Republicans like Mitt Romney and proposals for child care tax credits advanced by Republicans like Mitt Romney again. And uh, Sam, I wanted to get your reaction to the impetus from some social conservatives to see these child care tax credits, the Romney plan or others, as as a positive development, even the checks that have been distributed with a bump based on the number of children you have during the pandemic, uh, some conservatives, Republicans see as a positive. And the survey research that suggests that American families, American women, are not having as many children as they otherwise want to have. That that is not a a one-variable equation to solve, but that's the bottom line takeaway. They're not having as many children as they want, and there are some reasons for this, including financial reasons. And one of the ways some social conservatives would argue is that you can remove some of the barriers for families to have as many children as they want, which would be to the good of America as a whole, is to provide these child care tax credits or something akin to that so that there is not as much financial pressure when it comes to having a bigger family. And the response to to that argument is what? Right. Well, we have child tax credits in place already. They already exist, and they've been around for a while, and they allow you to to reduce your taxes depending upon how many children you have. They already exist. So if they were going to be having some sort of effect on the birth rate, one would assume that they would have done so by now. Uh, Of course, what the Romney plan is proposing is sort of direct payments. So there's a couple of things to think about here. One, we do know that one effect of such policy is to increase the number of single mothers. There's plenty of empirical evidence that points to that. And one has to ask oneself, is that a good thing for America? 
Is that a good thing for society? Is that good for the economy? Is that good for America as a whole? Uh, I think a lot of people would say that is not optimal. And is it really the case that we should be using federal money to effectively incentivize people to think that way? So that's a problem. I mean, I'm all in favor of big families, but it does seem to me that while there is evidence that economic pressures can, can cause people to think about, well, are they going to have two or three children or three or four children? There's no question, I think, that economics plays a role as people reflect on those sorts of issues. But we also know that tax credits have not shifted the needle, and there's not strong evidence either way, I think, that child allowances will make much difference either. I mean, this is the other thing we need to think about, right, with economic policy. Economics teaches us to watch out for things like unintended consequences. So on the one hand, it may well be that these child allowances don't shift the needle when it comes to the overall birth rate, but they may well increase the number of single mothers in the United States. So this is a classic example where a policy designed to achieve one objective probably won't achieve the objective that's designed, and yet there's also significant evidence that such a policy would actually realize uh, or create the type of social, help create the type of social and familial dynamics that social conservatives, in fact anyone, should have some serious concerns about. Yeah, and uh, and again, to your point on the Romney plan, I misspoke about it being a direct payment different than a, a tax credit, and this you know really is precedent-setting with all sorts of other uh, proposals out there, mainly from the left, for the government to be directly paying people to do this or to not do this right. or, to, or to not do that and universal basic income, and you, you really start to right. uh, potentially open the floodgates there. Right. I mean, UBI is a classic example of this, right, because we can, it's a similar type of argument that this is how the federal government can directly help people in need in a time of and a changing economy that's changing because of technology because of comparative advantage, working out in different ways, et cetera, et cetera. But one thing that UBI does do, and we know this, is that it disencourages people to work. And that is a problem. That's a real problem. And in fact, we also know that in those countries, which some countries which have tried UBI, like Finland, for example, they tried it for a year and then they stopped. And they stopped because they could see that it was discouraging people from working. And work is, as we all know, not just something that's economically good. Work is something that's socially, culturally, and I would even argue morally good for people to undertake. So disincentivizing people to work in order to give them this sort of this universal basic income. Social conservatives and fiscal conservatives have good reason to be concerned about government going down that path and, but I think it also illustrates your broader point. Once the government gets into the business of directly providing benefits in all sorts of ways to individuals beyond the, the ways it already does, the floodgates are very difficult to close after that. Once these things get into legislation, getting them out of, the, um, getting them out of legislation becomes harder and harder. He is Sam Gregg, Research Director at the Acton Institute. Sam, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Listen, the more you'll know. This is this, this, this is the Dan Proft Show.